I'll just throw it to you. <laughs> <laughs> just let Ian carry the show. It's all right. <laughs> that's all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll be the glue, Ian. That's that's yeah. that's important. <laughs> First grip. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 46, for Friday, the 11th of August, 2023. GCP Life is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. And I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, Google gets some new executives. We take a look at a few new Google features. We deep dive and we'll tell you why Kazna is so awesome. Plus, we bring you up to date on all the latest in the AI wars. But before we get to any of that, I'd like to welcome the co-host of the show, Ian Brown. How are you going, Ian? I'm good, Banky. How are you doing, mate? Oh, mate, mate, mate. One of those weeks, you know, projects moving on, all sorts of stuff happening. And then I decide to sell my house and we're going to move. <laughs> so, you know. Well, congratulations on that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, looks like it's going to be happening before the end of the year. Oh, nice. Um, the new place does have a space for a studio. Happy with that? Um, happy with that, yeah. And it's got uh, a pool? Might, and it's got a pool. Uh, it's on an acre of land and the house has nine bedrooms. Just for, for when I decide that I've had enough of my house and I'm coming to live with you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, I'll have somewhere to park the truck and I'll put the put the trailer and I'll have I'll have room to move finally. Are you, so are you going to put a hoist in your shed? Oh, that has been brought up as a topic of conversation <laughs> with my wife. <laughs> We're not getting a hoist. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, well. Then you'll have to drive your car up to my place for the hoist because I'm getting uh, a hoist. Ah, <laughs> uh, nice, nice, yep. nice. Um, yeah, so I've got that going on on top of everything else. Uh, what about yourself? Mate, um, look, I've been doing lots of pre-sales this week, um, doing doing up lots of slide decks and cost analysis and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm, mm. And, and someone's got to do it. Sorry, <laughs> someone's got to do it. Someone's yeah, got to do it. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. Um, digging into the Commodore sixty four again, and oh, ah, really? And What's I, happening there? Oh, uh, well, so I've got my C sixty four C, and it um, it doesn't output video, so yeah. I'm trying to figure out why. Um, very hard to do without an oscilloscope. So, yes. being the uh, the frivolous type that I am, I've decided to go and order myself a Handtech um, 6022, which is a USB-based right. um, yep. 20-megahertz oscilloscope. Yep. So, a couple of things you can do on the 64. Get yourself one of those Diag cartridges with the LEDs on the back of it. Yep. Um, now, that'll, that'll tell you a couple of things. Um, is... I mean, obviously, you've got power, you've got the LED coming on, and you're just getting black screen. Yep. Can you tell if the CRT is actually syncing to a signal or not? Uh, it's going into my telly via a converter. Uh, is, it's not a CRT, it's, a, it's an LCD? Yeah, it's an LCD screen. Okay. Do you get any, do you get any indication that the, a, a video signal's coming out and it's trying to sync? I don't see anything on the telly at all. Right, so it's okay. like it's not it, – it might, it might be something as stupid as one of the solder joints is broken or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, only, only reason is very, very common on the 64 is for the PLA chip to mm. blow. It's the first thing, the programmable logic array, and the symptom is black screen. Yep. But you can tell um, if, it, if it is the VIC or the PLA because – the VIC will still output as 
a synchronized, like a video sync, a V-Sync. Yep. Um, and if you're getting that, um, you can you can tell on a CRT if you are getting a V-Sync, um, then you can pretty much guarantee it's the PLA yeah. that the problem is. That's usually the first thing that goes. Um, so, yeah, you can do, try judiciously swapping chips until it works. Yeah, well, that's it. So <laughs> I, I've uh, I've had to order some um, some keycaps and some springs and that for, for the keyboard. The keyboard works perfectly, but some of the springs are missing and I'm missing one of the keycaps, which is the top left-hand corner one, which is a back arrow. Right. Um, so well, I'll tell you what, I, I can't wait. I've got, I've got a 128, two drives and a, a screen. I've just got nowhere to set it up at this place. When I get to the new joint, oh, yes, I've got room to move. I'll, I'll be setting that bad boy up for Banky sure. If it starts, studio of probably, retro. <laughs> it, won't, it probably won't power on, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, aside from that, uh, I've moved all my domains off Google domains. Cool. Done. Done. Over. Over with it. Done. Yep. I've moved them all back to crazy domains, which uh, I don't know. It's probably not the best place, but I already had some domains there because you know the uh, uh, ID a dot au domains. Mm-hmm. There's only certain registries you can get them from, right? Yeah. Um, and crazy domains was one of them. And that's where I'd registered that, so I've kept it there, and I've just put everything back onto crazy domains. So yeah, nice. That's where I'm for now. Um, yeah, that was good to get that out of the way. Yeah, definitely. I, uh, I've I've got all mine in binary lane, and I, the only one I haven't moved back is the dot online. Oh no, it's the dot studio domain that I've got. So once I uh, once that because that one comes up for registration again shortly, so I'm not going to move it just yet. I'll wait until it reg- re-registers at, yep. at Google Domains rate, and then I'll move it back across. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not silly. No, no. but mate, I've been looking and- at this. Um, Aegon Light, um, eight bit computer. So it's like a. Yeah, you mentioned this during the week. Yeah, yeah it's like a wallet size eight bit computer. So it, it runs a um, Zilog um, EZ80 mm. or, a, or a Z80, as the Americans call it. Mm-hmm. Um, great bit of kit. So you can run um, BBC Micros, uh, uh, DOS on there, and, and all sorts of. Uh, sorry, Basic on there. Um, yeah. Really, really cool bit of kit. So, 128k of of um, flash memory, um, the Zilog EZ80 F92 chip, which runs at 18 megahertz, which is a substantial increase in speed from an actual BBC Micro a, or a yeah. And for an eight bit, I mean, that's screaming for an eight bit machine. Oh, it is. It's cracking a yeah. lot. So yeah, the the possibilities on this thing are fantastic. So I, I'm I'm really looking forward to actually getting one. It's interesting though. Because uh, I was reading all the specs on, I was watching a video um, on YouTube from Jan Beta, who who does a lot of this sort of retro computing as well. Um, it uses an ESP thirty two for its uh, video display processor. Now, an ESP thirty two generally is a Wi Fi chip, not hmm. a video display chip. So, look, um, it's an interesting use of tech. So, why not? Let's have a look at it and see what happens. Yeah, I guess what the video signal—it's sort of like in that five megahertz range, I think. Yeah, probably. Um, so if yeah, if you're outputting, if you can get it to do the right output with the right voltages, then you could probably generate a video signal. I guess. Um, there's a similar thing floating around with a, a demo on the Commodore 64. We'll go back to Commodore 64 again. The um, 
the disk drives in the Commodore 64, they're actually smart drives. They've actually got a 6502 CPU in them mm-hmm. and a bit of RAM in there, like 4K RAM. So you can load programs in there and, and get them to run programs. If oh, you know cool. How. There's a demo floating around where this is exactly what they do. They hack up a, 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 an RCA plug and stick it with some, um, um, you know, uh, bobby pins into the the output ports of the of the uh, floppy drive, and it generates a video signal. Oh wow! And it runs this demo like a mono demo that kind of looks like the Star Wars Starbase, you know, the dot animation. <laughs> kind of looks like that. Oh, that's um, cool. Running from a floppy drive. I'll try and dig it up. I'll put a link in the show notes to it. It's it's sensational. Oh, Absolutely that's awesome. Sensational. And, spe- yeah. and speaking of, of C64s and, and wacky things that you can do with C64s, um, I saw a project the other day called SVI CAS, which is, uh, which is built by an Australian bloke. Um, so it's for the Spectrum Spectra video um, system, but it also it's a cassette emulator for Spectra video, but it also supports C sixty four and Atari and Amiga and a whole heap of other other systems yep. out there. Yep. Um, the problem that I found was that I couldn't get to any of the links because they're all dead. They were a TPG home site and TPGs uh, down that, but. But yeah, they Internet uh, Archive, Internet Archive, no, Internet yeah. Archive. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, but really cool in that you can save all the uh, TAP files from the ROMs that you download off the net, and you can just play them back to the various systems, and it works flawlessly. Mm, mm. Yep. Yep. Oh, it's time, Ian. It's time. It's a matter of just sitting down, having the time to go through all these things. There's so many cool things out there. There is. Um. But no, uh, yeah, I'm I'm going to be very time poor in the next few weeks and not have much time to play with tinker with stuff. But I have started building my um, bare metal Kubernetes cluster. Ooh, very nice. Started putting these two together. I've actually got three of these. Oh, lovely. Um, oh, they're the, the little uh, Novo boxes that you've got. Yeah, yeah. huge. Lenovo uh, M- M83s. Uh, I put 16 gig of RAM in them and uh, an i7. Yeah, cool. Um, updated the firmware, I've done all that, and um, built a PXE server, done that all in Ansible, um, as you do. Yep. And so they'll, they'll PXE boot and they'll run a Kubernetes cluster once I, once I get there. Yeah. I love PXE booting stuff. Yep, yep. It was always my go-to if I needed to build a machine, just PXE boot it to a build server and let it go. That's it, yep. <laughs> uh, so it's like layers of automation because I'm – Ansible building a Pixie server, which is going to, yeah, it's basically all the code will end up in my repo and I can just build it all on the fly. Oh, speaking of repos, you gave me access mm. to the to the GCP Life repo I the, other, the other week and I've been tinkering and I, uh, I have a, I have, I had to build a Mastodon um, uh, Docker container myself you've locally. Not given me an, you've not given me an update on this. How no, are we going? No, 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 I haven't. I, I, I'll give you the update while I'm giving everybody the update. Uh, yeah, so I've built a Mastodon container locally. Um, the, the ones that were online, look, they probably work and they're probably perfectly secure, but if we're deploying it for us to use and for, for um, fans of the show to jump on and talk to us, then I'd probably prefer to build it ourselves. Yep. Um, so I did exactly that. And because it's just Ruby, that's easy. Um, so I've got it all configured locally. 
So I'm just getting the uh, the Terraform up to to put that into Cloud Run, and uh, and we'll have one up sort of next we'll week sometime. Awesome. So the spoiler is here: we're spinning up a GCP Life Mastodon server. Uh, where we can post stuff, pictures, we can interact with the community, and uh, you guys can get on there, and, and we don't have to deal with Twitter, yeah, or excretion as we call it these <laughs> days. <laughs> All right, should we get on with the show? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, let's get on with the community news. All right, uh, this week's community news, just one item, and it's a big one, a big item. It's huge. I've uh, been, been holding on to this one all year, um, and uh, it's going to be a landmark episode for GCP Life. Uh, of course, we're heading quickly to GCP Life episode number 50, and I thought we'd throw a party, because we, we come out fortnightly, episode 50 will more or less be two years that the show is running. And uh, it's a big, nice, fat, round number. So I thought we'd throw a party. So on Friday, the 6th of October, we're doing GCP Life live, a live edition of the podcast. Uh, and this uh, will be held at the Google headquarters in Sydney in uh, the Google Developer Studio, otherwise known as Corroboree, on the ground floor of the uh, Google headquarters in, in uh, Piemont. And uh, yeah, you'll get to see myself, Ian, uh, three or four others, uh, Google, like people from Kasna and uh, Google, one or two Googlers, and we're just going to have a fun time. We're just going to uh, uh, do some games, uh, do, do some engaging stuff. Uh, we're going to play a bit of pub sub trivia, which should yeah. be fun. <laughs> and, some, and some prizes. And there'll be some prizes, some swag giveaways. Uh, and you know what? You might even learn a thing or two about Google Cloud while we're in the process. Well. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I might learn That's a thing or two about Google Cloud in the process. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And we're going to try and make it as fun and uh, engaging as possible. Um, we want, uh, you know, we don't, we don't want to just do the norm. We don't want to just have everyone sitting there just watching a talking head, right? Yeah. We, we want some people um, having a good laugh and uh, finding out some stories about some of the personalities that are behind this show. Uh, find out a little bit about Kasna as well, um, and uh, you know probably know learn a little bit more about Google Cloud while you're at it. People might actually find out where the origins of the name Kasna came from. They might indeed find out where that, that came from. That might be a question. <laughs> could be, could be. So make sure you're all clued up. Make sure you're clued up about uh, the latest in Google Cloud. Make sure you're clued up about this show as well, because that could be a couple of few little sneaky questions in there about GCP Life. Um, and, uh, yeah, Kasner as well. There could be a few little uh, background questions on Kasner itself. So. So, I suppose that, right. so I suppose the big question is, where do people go to get access to this awesome content? Yeah, so you, you'll see posts come out on the socials uh, over the next uh, couple of a week or two. Um, and what I will be setting up uh, is a, a booking system where you can go and book yourself a ticket. It'll be free. It's a free event. I should mention that. Uh, but we would like anyone coming to book themselves a ticket just so we've got an idea of the numbers. Um, are we going to put a page up on uh, the Kasner site as well? Just a banner page for it? 
Don't know. Don't know. Okay. <laughs> Don't know. Don't know is as good as yes. Well, you've been coming. You've been coming. You've been coming to the ideation sessions. Why didn't you mention that then? I did. <laughs> I've got it written there from day one. Uh, all right, that goes in the Trello board. Put that in there. <laughs> Put Ian Brown. He can do that. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. <laughs> awesome, guys. That's the only thing for community news this week. Let's move on with the news items. All right, and kicking off uh, the news items this week, we've got a few changes happening in uh, the Google, the the halls of the Google Cloud execs. We have indeed. Uh, what, what do we got? We've got uh, former Amazon Web Services data center leader, Chris Vonderhaar, joins Google Cloud. This is a big move. Oh, it is. It's huge. And, and he joins as the VP of Demand and Supply Management which is, I would assume, a very similar role to what he was at at AWS, Mm, which is mm. an interesting move because AWS has been very um, forward about um, taking legal action against execs that leave and move to competitors. Yeah, it's like they've got three years or something. They, They have to wait before they can move. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, I was reading this article and it's it's like Amazon has a history of suing executives who join, mm, mm. it says here Google, but um, that's true of executives that join any competitor after leaving yeah. AWS. However, most of these disputes have involved executives in marketing and sales. In 2012, a uh, federal judge in Seattle ruled that a former AWS um, sales leader could work for Google Cloud with minimal restrictions. Um, in 2020, Amazon settled a lawsuit that it filed with sales exec, um, alleging that his new role would threaten the disclosure of Amazon's highly confidential information. And later that same year, Amazon reached a settlement um, with a former AWS marketing exec who was sued by the company after he joined Google Cloud. So it doesn't seem like they're highly successful in their litigation, mm, mm. Um, but and, they'll still try and- it. I have to wonder what's going on behind the scenes because someone like Chris here, he would know about this, uh, you know, uh, uh, sorry, it's 18 months. Typically applies for a period of 18 months after departure. Yeah. But Google, they don't care. And they will say, well, we want you. I, I, would Google cover the legal fees? Is that is that what would happen here if, if AWS came after him? I don't know, to be honest. I, I would assume that they would go after him personally. Um, and it would have nothing to do to do with Google, but but I would suggest that maybe Google would assist him at least. Yeah, you'd have to wonder, wouldn't you? Um, why why would you immediately leave AWS and, and move to Google unless there was some backroom deal? Well, and this is it? this is the thing. So I don't I don't know that he left. So reading in between the lines of the article. It says here that he's worked for Amazon for 13 years, most recently overseeing the design and operation of Amazon Web Services Global Network of Data Centers. There was no formal announcement of his resignation at the time. Yeah. Word of his departure emerged after Amazon employees noticed his name was missing from the corporate directory. That's right. So it sort of seems like a very quiet exit out of AWS. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe he and AWS came to an agreement that they just didn't like each other anymore and he was, he was done um, mm-hmm. and he's moved over to, to Google Cloud, which is, look, to be honest, great, fantastic. Mm. What if you're sacked? Does a non-competitive agreement hold if you're sacked? Look, 
because I don't because that's know. not your choice to leave under that in in that circumstance. Yeah, well, that's right. And and the other part of that is it, it depends in the US certainly on what state you reside in too. Because I noticed there was a there was a little paragraph here in the in the article that says non compete agreements have been essentially banned in California. Um, so, and Washington State yep. in 2019 enacted provisions to limit their applicability. Yep. So, yep. I mean, if he resides in either of those, then maybe there isn't such a thing anymore. Maybe. But it does say, but the contract can still apply to employees who earn more than 100000 a year. So that's like basically that, everyone in IT. Yeah, that's in Washington <laughs> State, though, but not in California. Oh, Washington, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah interesting. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, but hey, look, um, that's awesome. Yeah, so this is part of a broader shakeup in Google Cloud's management team because we've also got um, some Microsoft execs, uh, tech moves. Ex Microsoft president joins Google Cloud as VP. Yeah, this is right. So uh, James Phillips was mm. a former vice president and president at Microsoft. Um, he was overlooking platforms including Dynamics 365, uh, the Power Platform, which is Power BI and and the Power Automation, and Azure AI Platform. Now, I can only assume that this is a very tactical acquisition by Google in the AI space. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. Um, although, having said that, uh, the, this article does go on to say that Phillips joined Stripe after leaving Microsoft, uh, but departed one month later. Yeah, I, when I read that, I thought, ah, oh, look, that's got to be some, there's someone he's clashed heads with, yep. or there's some cultural incompatibility there, or he just, yeah, this is something that wasn't compatible. You don't yeah. go and work for somewhere for a month and then... You know, you sit down at your desk on your first day and you get a vibe and you probably got this vibe, oh, this, yeah. this is not good. This, is, this, <laughs> you know? this doesn't feel right. Let's, yeah. let's give it a month and see how I go. And then in a month's time, he goes, nah, the feeling hasn't got any better. I'm out. Yeah, that, that's what that would be all about, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, interesting move. Um, so, Philips previously co-founded Akimbi Systems, which was acquired by VMware and helped launch Couchbase, uh, also strategic director at Mandora Venture Group, who recently hosted Phillips on its podcast. So there's a link there, the podcast. I'll, I'll put a link to that, and uh, you can uh, take a listen to what he's got to say. All right, uh, let's move on and take a look at a few new Google Cloud features. Um, what have we got here first? We've got attack exposure scores. Yeah, so Google has enabled attack. Well, sorry, uh, attack path simulation is now GA in Security Command Center Premium. Premium tier, yeah. This feature, and it says it right at the. Now, this is interesting because I know we've looked at uh, security stuff in the past, and it's never been very obvious if it's available or not. But Mm. this is very clear: premium tier only. This feature is available only with Security Command Center Premium tier. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So. this is, this is a really cool feature. So attack path scores and, and attack paths are generated only for a vulnerability and misconfiguration findings that expose the resource instances in the effective high-value resource set. Mm-hmm. So, so this is not actually showing you evidence of an actual attack in an attack path. It's showing you where attack paths could be. 
So if an yes. attacker has gained access to your GCP environment, um, this shows you how they could attack something so that you can take proactive steps to mitigate that. And that's the thing, it's proactive, right? That's right. Um, the article here says you won't see evidence of an actual attack in attack path, mm. right? Attack path simulations generate attack paths and attack exposure scores by simulating what hypothetical attackers could do if they gained access to your Google Cloud environment. That's right. And we're going we're gonna to go on later and we're going to see what some of those might be. Yeah. Because the Threat Horizons reports come out and they, it breaks, breaks some of these down. Mm. Um, it says uh, what they could do if they gained access to your Google Cloud environment and discovered the vulnerabilities and misconfigurations that Security Command Center has already discovered. Yeah. And look, let's, yeah. let's look at this from, a, from an attacker's perspective. Um, security teams are always on the back foot because they have to know about every vulnerability in every piece of software that a business runs, whereas an attacker only has to find one. So, yeah. like, and this is, my young fella is is right into this idea. He watched Hackers again the other night, the 1988 <laughs> film, 89 film, something like that with Angelina Jolie. Hack the planet. Hack the, Hack planet, the planet, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Um, love that movie. But he watched that again, and he is absolutely enthralled in the idea of how it is, how you can get into a computer system. So mm. he's been mm. doing things like Hack This Site and um, Hacker 101 uh, video tutorials and all that sort of stuff in order to learn yep. how to get into a system. Nice. Has he watched uh, War Games yet? No. No, no. He's oh, <laughs> you've got to put him onto that. <laughs> <laughs> baby steps, Becky, baby steps. <laughs> I don't want to overwhelm him too much. Yeah, so go and check, go and check that out uh, if you've got access to uh, Premium Tier Security Command Center. Now, the next thing that we looked at here, and I really like this, this is this application integration. Uh, connect your applications visually without code. Yeah. Um, now, this is, uh, I'll just read here from the page, integration platform as a service and IPaaS to automate business processes by connecting any application with point-and-click configurations. That's it. So this is a drag-and-drop interface, like a no-code interface, to do mm. integrations between different systems. So, um, again, this is a new GA feature. And there is, um, a, and we'll we'll link this as well, there is a sample integration there that you can go and play with and and, uh, and learn how it, use, how it works. But... There's 90 pre-built connectors, so you can connect to all sorts of stuff, like all the general, the Google stuff, BigQuery, PubSub, et cetera, et cetera, but other things like Salesforce and MySQL and MongoDB and a whole heap of others. And yeah, it, and like things that are like like left to field, like SFTP servers and FTP servers and LDAP servers yeah. and all these obscure things. Yeah, it integrates with Jira Cloud, you know? Yeah, it set up triggers from that. It yeah. does really cool stuff, and mm. again, like I said, it's a drag and drop interface. So it means yeah. that anybody can do it. Like, doesn't you, you know what it is? It's it's if this then that. Yes, it's if this then that for Google Cloud. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like yeah. when kids first learn how to code, they learn how to code by dragging boxes into into mm. a big window, and that's exactly what this is, which I think yep. is is fantastic for people who don't have the coding background but need to do basic integrations. Yeah. Um, it does oh, event automated event-driven triggers as well. Um, so it has, it has a wide range of triggers out of the box, including APIs yeah. and PubSub and um, schedules, um, Salesforce triggers. 
uh, and cloud scheduler. That's how it kind of works, actually. It works from a trigger and then a task. Yep. So you have a trigger and then it kicks off a task, which can, which can kick off another trigger and then another task, and, and mm. you can do branches and stuff like that as well. Yeah, and you can do ETLs as well. So, mm. yeah, so data transformation is available right there in the, in the window. Yeah. Cool thing. Oh, I'm just looking at you've got a Stripe integration. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, my wife's website, she uses Stripe. Um, there could be some possibility there to automate some invoicing and, and things like that and, and reply emails and stuff. Yeah. So if you had a, if you had a capability, uh, an integration between Stripe and your accounting system, you could get that event out of Stripe when a successful payment has been applied and then mm. trigger that in the accounting system to say this has been paid with this reference. Mm. So there's the automatic linking. Really cool. Nice. Really cool. Yeah, really cool. PayPal as well. Um, all the things. SendGrid, so there you go. You've got SendGrid on there. Um, and, of course, all the DB integrations as well, all the various types of DB. Yep. Um, yeah, no, uh, really, really looking forward to having a go with that one. But uh, I think it wouldn't surprise me if they're going to continue to add services to here because it's not all the services just yet. No. Um, but, uh, yeah, when that, when that grows, it's going to make things really easy. Yeah, yeah, literally it's, it really does make ETLs and and application integration so simple. Cool, all right. Well, uh, let's let's just flip back to security for a moment. Um, a couple of security items that have come across our desks. Um, Google Cloud Study, uh, big risk in proliferating credentials, keys. So... Um, the Threat Horizon report has come out recently. We've talked about Threat Horizon report on, on GCP Life before. Um, and they're saying that uh, credential vulnerabilities accounted for 60% of compromises when Google Cloud users. 60% of compromises. Yeah, this is, this is crazy. I was just having yeah. a look. There's a pie chart here, and the cloud compromise factors for Q1 of 2023, 54.8% is weak or no password. No password? Yeah, it's that, that's no. a legend. Weak or no password. I, I, this is 2023, people. Who doesn't set a password on something? And, and you think of all the, the breaches that have happened recently, the Optus breach. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's just case in point. Just open API endpoint. Mm. That's exactly what the sort of thing they're talking about here. No password? Not, not even. Well, I, like, I think that uh, one probably falls into the misconfiguration category because yeah, obviously there well, was supposed to be some sort of credentials in front of it, but they just forgot to apply that bit. The I have no idea category, yeah. maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, misconfiguration. So that account misconfiguration accounts for nineteen percent of compromises. Um, mm, mm. Sensitive, uh, sensitive. Okay, that's that's interesting. The actual article uh, misspells sensitive. Um, UI or API UI. exposed is 11.9%. Um, leak credentials yep. is 7.1. Vulnerable software is 2.4. So that's a really tiny, like, yeah, mm. like you have a look at most IT admins are looking at, oh, we've got to keep our software up to date because, you know, otherwise vulnerabilities get discovered. And But yep. that's yep. 2%. Yep. 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 Um, and you know, the other, you know the other thing that I, I found striking about this? network insecurity or network vulnerabilities do not even rank nope. unless they're falling into the other category, right? And, you know, time and time again, how many security engineers 
are so wound up about getting the network security right. That's right. Firewall rules have to be right, right? You, you can't have – and looking at this, mm. that's not the problem. Yeah. The problem is passwords, yep. right? Simple and, yeah, yeah. use a password. And that's because you've got people. Right. That's right. I mean, I told you a story the other day about what I used to do to people who I found their passwords taped to sticky oh, notes on yeah. their desk. Let's not go down that rabbit it's, hole. It's just, <laughs> that that sort of thing is just crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, the article does go on to say, um, IT teams look to increase uptime and reduce complexity by granting too much access to accounts, violating the concept of least privilege. Yeah. Very, very common practice. Yep. Oh, we'll just put the default computer account. Or, I mean, not, we're not even talking about Google Cloud here, right? We're talking about anything, right? Yeah. Oh, we'll just have a just put just put an admin account on it. It's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, database user account. I'll oh, just 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 connect to the database using root. It's fine. Yep. You know, or uh, we don't have to worry about. It. Or the old thing that used to happen all the time, and this this used to happen in the early two thousands, is probably probably a long held tradition of having mm-hmm. a single admin account that everybody used. Oh. Every man and his dog knew the knew the username and password to the admin account. Yeah, yeah, terrible, terrible, horrible, terrible, terrible, horrible security. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's really simple. If you're using infrastructure as code, and you're you're creating service accounts with infrastructure as code, you just give them the only little piece of access that they need. If you need something else, you just copy those four or five lines of code, and you just. Instead of having a one as the user account, you put a two at the end and you just give it the little bit that it needs, right? It's very easy to create new accounts that just have the bit that they need. And and if you're using infrastructure as code and you're generating passwords in there, don't store mm. them in the code. Don't store it in the yeah. output because all that stuff sits in a bucket somewhere that can be compromised. So yeah. store it in memory, a reference to it in another module and use it that way. Secrets manager, yep. secrets manager, secrets yep. manager, secrets manager. 100%. Yep. 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 Dump it yep. into secrets manager and be done with it. Yeah. Sheldon pointed out that over-provisioning accounts are common with cross-project identity access. I'm explaining that a user very typically creates a service account with too many provisions in order to facilitate work. So this is where we're creating a service account in one project. We just give it all the access and then we connect to it from another project. And, oh, very easy. We don't need to bother with changing, going back to the other repo and redeploying to the project to add new permissions to it. That's And that's interesting because I was talking to a, a potential client today about a, mm, a backup mm. solution saying about how we can we can back up their data into GCS as a as an off-site offline um, copy and how and he was expressing concern about how maybe the the security guys might get the knickers in a twist about provisioning um, a key that accesses all these buckets and I was like no 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 you provision a bucket and you provision a key that accesses that bucket that's it and then yep. the next bucket and, that you do and- has a different key and that key can only write to it. Yep. It can't read it, right? Yeah. If you do set it up right. And that way, if one gets compromised, you don't have a risk of the others being compromised. Exactly. exactly. Now, this goes on to the next point in this article, and this, this is probably what that guy was thinking, right? He's thinking old school. He's thinking SSH keys, yep. right? And this goes, the problem with SSH key, one example of over-provisioning misstep is the overuse of secure shell keys. Now, We'll get on to like the whole problem with that in a second, which provide access to encrypted secure shell network protocols designed to let machines communicate an unsecured open network, right? Now, 
it's 2023. Who is using SSH keys to connect to a cloud VM? No. Why are we doing that? That that seems to be what's going on here. And once again, it's this not understanding of cloud services, right? It's not understanding how cloud works and trying to take what you're doing in the 90s on-prem and trying to do that in the cloud. It just doesn't work. I think, You've got to change tact. I think it's even it's even worse than that in that, okay, SSH keys, let's take that as a, as a prime example. Yeah. If yeah. you've got SSH keys... Now let's keys, talk about SSH keys. Yeah, yeah. well, if, you're, if you've got an SSH key and you're using that to connect to a cloud resource of any description or even an on-prem yeah. resource, you're not putting SSH keys on something that's low value. You're putting SSH keys on things that are high value. So I used to have SSH keys on my old backup server once upon a time um, before yeah. I moved to a different solution. But the problem with SSH keys is that you have to keep the private side of that on your computer which means yep. that if you lose your computer, someone yep. can extract the hard drive out of that, and I've done it many times, put the hard drive yep. into a hard drive dock, mount it on your computer, and all of a sudden they have access to your profile. They can rewrite Recover the permissions the because they yep. own your computer yep. now. Yep. And therefore, yep. they now have access to everything. And if, you're, if you have an SSH config that sets up, like, use this SSH key for this server, they automatically know how to get in. Isn't, isn't this exactly what happened one of the hacks recently? Uh, one of the lead, lead senior engineers, they got his keys off his machine. Oh, more than likely. Uh, via, via a vulnerability in Plex. Oh, yes, well, I do remember that. Which, which one was that? Um, anyway, one of the many yeah. hacks. Yeah. yeah, one of the many we've yeah. seen this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, there's a whole that. Now, rotating SSH keys, a complete PITA, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, so no one's going to rotate SSH keys, right? Um. Yeah. So you just don't need it. Like, use we we have this thing called identity aware proxy in Google Cloud. Now, if you're not aware of this, then you should be using this, right? You can connect without a public IP address to a VM, and you don't need to use any SSH keys. Yep. And access to that VM is controlled from IAM within the project. That's right. Right. You can you can also use identity aware proxy to protect certain web pages, right? Now, I've done this quite successfully with WordPress, for instance. Now, WordPress, it does not go into how bad <laughs> the security has been in WordPress over the years, but there's you have there's a particular page called slash wp-admin. Yep. And that's where you log in, right? Now, that any website, any website, right, everyone will – Every script kitty in the world will be trying to hit that page on any website oh, yeah. and they'll be working hard at it, right, to try and hit it. Now, you can, if you use a Google Cloud load balancer and you set up IAP uh, and a URL map, you can protect that particular page directly behind IAP and you only allow certain Google Cloud accounts into that page. So the, the script kitties don't even get to see that login prompt. Yeah, the old the old way of doing that, um, being an old WordPress admin myself, the old way mm. of doing that was to rename the WP admin um, endpoint to something else. So you'd you'd rewrite it in um, HT Access or in Nginx or whatever you fronted WordPress yeah. with. Um, you'd rewrite that and you'd rewrite the wp-login.php to a different file name so that uh, you'd have to hit this random string of characters.php to but get to the admin portal. They can still fuzz that. Yeah. Right? They can fuzz that and find mm. it. 
right? And and you will see fuzzing attacks on 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 your Apache logs of of, of random stuff like that happening. Yeah. Um, this way with IAP, they don't even get presented. They don't even get access to any of that. They can't even get to it. And um, I suppose the other issue with WordPress too is, and and many 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 CMSs are like this. There's no login attempt counts. You actually have to have plugins to do that. There are plugins for yeah, that. Yeah, but, yeah. but out of the box, there's nothing. You can hit that endpoint a thousand times a second and it's not going to care. No. Um, so the article goes on to talk about uh, Chronicle Signal's overly permissive key creation consistent risk. Um, and this just talks about that that cross-project abuse that you were talking about before where you've got a, an access token that is cross-project and it gives you way too many permissions. That's right. Um, it actually, they break down the, the type of uh, key risks and the cross-project is 74.8% followed by uh, replacement of existing compute disk at uh, 8.7%. What, what exactly are they doing with that when they say replacement of existing compute disk? I'm not entirely sure. I haven't. I didn't see any more information about that. Mm. That's interesting. I wonder whether it's an attacker actually replacing the disk with something else. Possibly, possibly. Um, but nevertheless, if if you can get your keys under control and um, simply set up service accounts only with the things that they need and not all and sundry, then you'll be right. You won't appear on this pie chart yep. and you won't, make, you won't make the headlines in the news. That's right. Speaking of headlines in the news. Yeah, HWL Ebsworth. They've, uh, we've got a little update on them. Yeah, so it looks like a, um, Regionally Express, the, the airline, a subsidiary of theirs, and, uh, and also Judo Bank. Uh, have come out as as being affected by the the breach that they suffered two months ago. Now, I feel like it's been about two months. It's been about two months, but but Rex Airlines has immediately come out and said Rex Airlines is not affe- affected. No passenger details have been compromised. Yeah. We're all good. Yeah, yeah. Now, what is the rule when they say that? Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's a rule. <laughs> that is never ever the case. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> But it says the airline is awaiting evaluation of the documents that have been stolen to determine the impacts on its interests and has put both mm. HW Elbsworth and an unnamed client on notice. Now, that that sort of says to me that there maybe was some correspondence between uh, Rex and a client somewhere and that has um, that has been part of this breach. But the one mm. that the the one that's even more concerning is um, Judo Bank. Um, so the statement here says, Judo Bank has provisionally and where required contacted our customers and employees who we understand may have been impacted by this breach. It sort of that sort of seems like a look. We don't really know whether you have been or not, and if we think you have, we'll contact you. But we also yeah, might not. It's, it's- it seems a bit blasé, doesn't it? It does. You know, it's a, it's a bit meh. It's like, yeah, yeah, we might ring you, but you know, <laughs> might not. Yeah, well, that's it. And I mean, the next the next statement in here says that uh, Judo Bank is continuing to work with HWL Ebsworth to ensure affected individuals are formally notified under the Notifiable Data Breaches Scheme. Yep. 
more than 40 government agencies have reportedly been affected. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, yeah, look, Air Marshal Darren Goldie, he's got his work cut out for him on this one. There he is, yep. Man of the hour. Yeah, he is indeed. And uh, the Black Cat Group that's claimed responsibility for it, apparently they published like 1.4 terabytes of data on this breach. That's an awful lot of data to be exfiltrating. How do you not see that come out of your systems? Unless they're trickling that out over months and months and months and months, surely you've got to see 1.4 terabytes. It must have been in there for a while. Oh, yeah. And that's even more scary. All right, speaking of headlines, kazna has been in the news a bit lately. Yeah, we have indeed. And uh, if you if you've been on the socials and you're you're a keen eye on the socials, you you would have noticed uh, a couple of articles floating around. The first one's sort of on uh, Ramsey Health uh, scaling AI adoption with Google Cloud. Casa uh, had a little bit to do with this. They did indeed. So this was uh, this was a couple of the guys at at Casna jumped in and and really helped Ramsey um, under some. Pretty tight time constraints to get their cloud foundations up to scratch um, and flesh it out from what uh, what was provided initially, um, so that they can get some some data analysis capability in there. Yeah, key component of the strategy is the creation of a central data hub, which will be built using Google Cloud's enterprise data warehouse. A big query. Yeah. Now, I'm not a data guy, and I don't play one on a podcast, but, I mean, that sounds awesome to me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, not a, I'm not a data nut either. But it does say here the data hub to be delivered in partnership with Kasner will allow Ramsey to safely ingest, store, and analyze both real-time data and diverse swaths of raw data. Uh, patient data will be encrypted end-to-end through Google Cloud's infrastructure and data storage, which, I mean, that's that's the norm. So for those who don't know, that's a normal thing in Google Cloud. Encryption at rest, encryption at transit. It is it is there by default. You have to go through all sorts of hoops to turn it off. Yep. And why would you? Yeah. Because it just doesn't make sense it, to turn it off. It's crazy. So that you can yeah. end up in the news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Goes on to say, Ramsey operates a network of more than 70 hospitals, clinics, and surgical centres across Australia. With healthcare services demand expected to rise gradually each year, the amount of data they hold is also projected to increase. We're talking about a lot of data. They are. An awful lot of data. And then uh, I'd imagine you could do some AI. And uh, Yes, I don't even need to imagine nope. it. The article goes on to talk about that. It does <laughs> For indeed. example, AI can reduce the administrative burden on clinics and uh, clinicians and nurses releasing further capacity to care for patients. So, yes, there will be some AI enhancements on this data, no doubt. Yeah, well, it actually says there Ramsey Health is also looking to use AI to optimise clinical coding to improve accuracy, reduce the burden on medical coders. Now, I'm not sure what a medical coder is. I'm, I'm assuming it's not a software developer that designs medicine because that would be weird. Uh, but if they're going to use AI to to optimise stuff like that, then I think that's great. And there's another business that we're going to cover later on in the show about that's using, um, that's trialling AI, experimenting with it inside of their systems as well. But apart from Ramsey Health, uh, Kasner also got another mention in a uh, ARN article, which I'll link on the show notes. Kasner heralded as Google Cloud Platform Whiz. We have indeed. In- we are the Google Cloud Platform Whiz. This well, is from uh, Sasha Karen at ARN. 
Um, and the article kicks off, IT services provider Kasna has been labelled a leader in multiple aspects of Google Cloud Platform by research firm ISG. Yeah, so in the firm's 2023 uh, provider lens Google Cloud Partner Ecosystem Report, um, Kasna was one of 22 partners to have its GCP capabilities assessed. Uh, with a report focusing on quadrants of implementation and integration services, data analytics and machine learning, managed services and SAP workloads. Yeah. Now, Kasna was uh, a firm leader in two of these. Now, we don't know what these quadrants are. What are these quadrants? Do we know? But I think that there's the- verticals that you're targeting. Okay. Um, we're a firm leader in two of them. Um, and. And as, as a result uh, of that, we are the only provider headquartered in Australia mentioned by this report. Yeah, and that's pretty cool. Right, that, that have any, uh, of that, that meet any of these quadrants. The others were, well, there are others, um, and they were leaders in all four quadrants, um, and there were others that were leaders in all three quadrants, but they're not headquartered in Australia. And they're the much, 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 much bigger in uh, companies as well. So you're looking at um, Tata Consultancy and Capgemini and uh, Ypro and and those sort of companies that are massive versus yep. versus little old us who are just 90-odd Google Cloud specialists. Yep. And uh, would it be fair to say that those other companies aren't Google Cloud. They're not specialising in Google Cloud solely. No, as far as I'm aware, they're across all different cloud services for the whole lot of yep. them. So an engineer in uh, Cognizant, for instance, is is one of the ones mentioned. Uh, I know that cloud engineers there have to work across all of the different clouds that they support, which sounds like an absolute nightmare to me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. You're not, you can't be called an expert. No, that's right. Um, you, you you need to focus on something. Mm. This article does go on to say and talk about the uh, uh, growth in cloud that we talked about a few weeks ago. Google's top ecosystem partners in Australia are expecting triple-digit growth, and there's room for local players to expand with offerings uniquely tuned to the market. So this goes along with the the cloud, the growth in Google Cloud that we reported on the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's right. And and look, the the future, so Google Cloud has released SAP in Google Cloud now, um, and that's a big target of this report. They're saying that cloud is the future for SAP. Um, so Google's ability to support these workloads in Australia is critical, and they do. Um, and service providers are key partners to enterprises planning and carrying out these migrations, which is 100% true. An enterprise, they they their engineers can't have the level of knowledge of GCP that we do because this is all we do. And then finally, the last paragraph it reiterates that Casner has shown off its capabilities with GCP previously, such as its work to migrate the Australian superannuation fund UniSuper over to Google Cloud, which was announced in June this year. And it links off to another article about that. And I'm quite happy to say that I am a senior cloud engineer and architect on that project. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's we're just about finished with the project. Um, we've got – we're moving into the migration. I I, I, I think everyone would be uh, – I don't think anyone at Unisipper would mind me saying because it's, it's been out in the public news already. 
Uh, we're just about ready to move into the migration phase of for production. Um, all the tests are passed. We're locked and loaded and we're ready to go. Um, and uh, we've got a timetable. I, I'm not going to give exactly when, but uh, very, very soon we will be done with that migration. That's fantastic because um, that's a lot of VMs in that migration and it was a very tight timeline. Yeah, yeah. So they needed to get out of the data center by a certain time and uh, it's been over well over 12 months now mm. um, that we've been on this project. And uh, GCVE makes it easy, I'll tell you what. But the thing, the thing to remember with, with these projects, um, I think my takeaway from this particular one is, yeah, it's you're migrating compute, you're migrating your apps, you're, you're migrating a bunch of Windows VMs from one environment to the other. But they're actually networking projects. Oh, yeah. Network this and is firewall. This thing, right? It's network and firewall. That's where a lot of the work, gets done hmm. because we were moving technologies. We were moving from um, traditional on-prem Juniper stuff into distributed firewall in NSXT. Yep. And uh, that's a paradigm shift. Hmm. And did we get it perfect in every case? No, we didn't, right? D did we try and get it as close as possible? Yeah, we did. And uh, it's working for them. Uh, there's going to be some remediation after it, but uh, – you know, they're in a way better position now. They can audit things more easily. They've got infrastructure as code. Uh, you know, we're doing pull requests like that. And, and, and meanwhile, they're on-prem dealing with their old kit, trying to make changes. But we're just, we're just changing stuff like that <laughs> with, with the IAC. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a win-win. You know, you've got to go through the pain, but the, the outcomes, you know, it's, it's fantastic in the long run. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the, the migration process really... Um, you said quite rightly it's a networking and firewall um, process mm. because the VM doesn't change. The VM is identical no. between one side and the other. Um, so right. it 100% is just migrating networks and migrating firewall rules into a different system. That's right. Um, and uh, there's no... Well, we now have some code that can do that, mm. Right. Uh, we know how to do that. We've got the skills in-house to do that. And, uh, but there's, there's no simple turnkey thing that'll just do it for you. No. Um, so, yeah, look out for that. I, I cross-posted that one on LinkedIn as well. Um, go and give that one uh, some, a couple of claps or whatever on LinkedIn. But, uh, yeah, feel real proud about that one. Yeah, so you should be. And the whole team should be too. <laughs> it's a fantastic project. Just can't wait till it's finished. I tell you what, <laughs> it's going to be good when it's done. I need to get on the project now. I've been off a project for too long. Uh, yeah, speaking of projects, uh, I gave you a little project during the week. Um, Ian's revenue comparison. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, move on, we'll move on to some finance news here. Yeah. So, so we said in the last podcast that we that uh, Amazon haven't released their quarterly sales figures. So we'll or AWS hadn't. So we were uh, we were going to wait for them to come out, and then we'll we'll do a comparison between the three vendors. Now, the problem that I found was that Microsoft doesn't actually release their Azure uh, figures. They release Microsoft as a whole, and then they give you a Azure has increased this many percent year on year. Which, unless I go all the way back to the very start of Azure, which I'm just not going to do, um, that's an impossible number to figure out. 
Mm. Um, but what I did do is I took the parent companies across the board, so Alphabet, Amazon, and Microsoft, and I pulled down their revenue, their total expenses, and their profit and loss, and that gave us an operating margin. Um, and then we did a comparison on who's outperforming who. And based on operating margin, well, let's go through the figures first. So revenue, yeah. um, Alphabet pulls in $74.6 billion in revenue, uh, Amazon $134.38 billion, and Microsoft's $56.189 billion. So Alphabet's not doing too bad there. They're second in place. When you look at expenses of, well, Amazon first, of Amazon's $134.38 billion, their expenses, that's is including cost of sales and infrastructure and all that sort of stuff, was $126.7 billion. That's astronomical. It's phenomenal. So their profit is only $7 billion. And then like only seven billion. What? Like I would love what to have seven that? billion, but you know, <laughs> if you're turning over one hundred and thirty-four billion dollars and you're only making seven, you've got to be asking yourself what you're doing wrong. You ask yourself some serious questions. Where's the money going? Well, that, and that's the thing. I don't know. So that gives them an operating margin of five point six percent. That can't be sustainable. Mm. So my my guess here is uh, because they're saying that their AWS figures are up. Um, a huge amount. My guess here is that the Amazon um, book business is, or retail business, is actually being propped up by the AWS side. Mm. Um, now, Microsoft, 56.189 billion of revenue. Yep. Oh, I was going to remind everyone because they are a bookstore. They are. They're a bookstore. <laughs> and they, they spun up AWS because they needed infrastructure to support the bookstore. Um, okay, so let's have a look at Microsoft. Microsoft, Microsoft fifty-six point yeah. one eight nine billion in revenue, total expenses thirty-five point one zero eight billion, uh, which gives them a total profit of twenty point zero eight billion, um, and an operating margin of thirty-five point seven four percent. So that's the best operating margin out of the three. Right, right. They they don't have as much revenue as as Alphabet does or Amazon does, but they're making more money. Their their cost of sales is lower which means their profit is higher. Mm. Um, Alphabet sort of sits in the middle a bit. So uh, revenue, $74.6 billion, as I mentioned. Their expenses are $52.76, and their profit, therefore, is $21.83 billion. Right, so that gives them 29.3% roughly. So just on a raw figure, Mm. Alphabet has the highest profit. Oh, yeah. 21 billion. Yeah, 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 100%. But when you look at that, when you look at the operating margin, this is the one to look at, is Alphabet are actually running second to Microsoft. Microsoft's cost of sales is a lot lower and their operating expenses, their total expenses, so infrastructure, offices, people, you name it, um, Mm. is lower than Alphabet's. And that's fine. So now I know what the, the Google Cloud revenue is for this so of amazon's 74.6 billion google like the gcp made them 8 billion of that and the profit was 30 uh sorry 395 million which is well that's the second profit they've had in their entire time Mm. uh, which gives them a 4.92 percent margin now Mm. 
I look at this and say, okay, that's a really low margin. Like that's lower than Amazon's margin across the board. But what I hadn't taken into account when I looked at that margin initially was Google is buying Dell hardware to put in for GCVE. That stuff is stupid expensive. And they're putting in thousands and thousands and thousands of those servers. Whereas yep. Amazon is not their VMC thing runs on on their custom hardware, which doesn't have the redundancy and the resiliency that the the enterprise hardware that GCVE runs on. Why re Why reinvent the wheel? Well, that's it. But, you know, Dell Dell are doing this. They've been doing it for years, and they do it really well. Hmm. Why 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 make your own boxes? And, and then and then further to that, why have to rebuild VMware, ESXi, and vSphere and all the rest of them with different APIs just to support? your custom hardware. Why not have a mm, certified mm. solution that, like, you pay some vendor to ship you a 1,000 machines a month and just throw them into a data center and keep doing That's it. That's it. That's it. And you just cookie cutter it. Yep. One breaks, you switch it out, done, it rebuilds itself. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, and that's literally what they do. Like, the, their whole build system is automated. The whole works and jerks is automated. It's literally like a dude sits there, he plugs this stuff into a rack, and it registers itself on the on the network, and automation system goes out and builds it. Yep. But yeah, yep. so interesting numbers. Um, Amazon's revenue numbers were were quite the eye opener. Um, I actually didn't expect them to be that low. Uh, I expected Amazon's revenue numbers to be quite a lot higher, uh, but I also didn't expect their expenses to be anywhere near that high. Well, that's a great breakdown, Ian. Thanks for looking at that. I mean, it's quite an eye-opener, really. Like, I mean, Alphabet, $21 billion in straight-up numbers, but how is Microsoft so lean? I, like, it's, that's, that's really impressive, actually, considering, you know, the legacy that they must have inside that company. Oh, that's it. I think, I think a lot of it is uh, their, their Azure system, They've they've been using data center stuff for for years and years and years. They're very good at traditional data center stuff. So mm. building Azure on top of that wasn't an overly big expense to them. Um, right, they already had the footprint, they had the presence. They just had to integrate Azure to yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And look, they're doing some really cool experiments too. I hate to talk up Microsoft, but they're doing some really cool experiments where they're putting a data center in the ocean. There's literally a data center that sits in the yes. ocean, which is I know that's phenomenal. And in fact, if you watch one of Linus Tech Tips most recent videos, he cools his his equipment wrap in his house with a radiator that goes into his pool. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> that's a good way to heat your pool, winner. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it uh, it it. It was significantly more efficient than the liquid cooling system that he'd had installed on it previously. Oh wow! Yeah, uh, go and look that one up, guys. <laughs> um, but all right. So while we're on the, the financial tip here, um, ANZ, ANZ, uh, has had a bit to do with ANZ over the years. A- ANZ finds its feet to hit cloud migration milestones quicker. It has indeed. Uh, ANZ Banking Group has hit scale in its cloud migration, halving the time to replatform applications and workloads compared to just 12 months earlier. Yeah, so, so ANZ had given themselves three to five years horizon to migrate or uplift the majority of its IT and application estate to the cloud, predominantly into AWS and GCP. 
Um, and I know we've done a lot of work with AWS in replatforming them and re-architecting uh, re our applications and, and getting them across the line in a number of spaces. Um, it hit the 35% migration at the end of last year, which included a number of material workloads. So for those who don't know, these are workloads that are regulated by APRA. They need regulatory approval to go in and become production applications, and there's a whole heap of hoops you've got to jump through. It's, it, it's really quite eye-opening when you first go into it. Um, but they're now re-hosting multiple applications a week. This is, this is really cool. Mm. 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 Our re-platforms have gone down dramatically from 20-plus weeks to now 10 to 15 weeks at a fraction of the cost all within the last 12 months. And I guess this is just a function of automating things, uh, pipelining things, and just generally getting better at it. Yeah, that's right. I know they've put a lot of work into their um, project vending stuff to ensure that uh, new projects that are vended uh, to create these workloads have the minimal amount of scope uh, that, they've, that they need uh, much the same as the the security stuff that we were talking about before about cross project overreaching permissions and all that sort of stuff. They've put a lot of work into making sure there's a minimal set of APIs enabled and a minimal set of um, credentials enabled there. It sounds like at the moment that they're moving into what they're calling day two operations. Uh, now replatformed, the immediate future of the two pricing apps is to build out the app team's day two operations. So uh, building dashboards, optimizing costs, and uh, evolving what good looks like. Yeah, cool. Good on them too. That's that. Yeah. They're a big utilizer. Uh, they're sorry. They're a big user of GCP and AWS. And uh, yeah, I, I I like to follow these stories that that show really good use cases. Cool. We'll link that in the show notes. Uh, should we get on with the AI wars? AI wars. All right, first story uh, off the top of the list today for AI Wars. Uh, Capgemini, we mentioned them earlier, to invest billions in AI. Billions. More billions is better. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the More billions is better. And I think the important point about this particular article is the amount that they're investing. 3.3 billion, I assume that's US, 3.3 billion in AI over three years. Yeah, so um, they're, they're trying to help businesses adopt AI tech. Uh, through partnerships with um, Microsoft and Google Cloud. Uh, so their, their CEO, uh, Eamon Ezat, I think is how you pronounce his name, uh, said, we continue to gain market share as we accompany our clients in their tradition towards digital and sustainable economy. I'm convinced that generative AI will play a major role in this transition. Where's that generative AI button? AI, 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 generative AI, generative AI, generative AI, 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 AI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been hearing it from Pinchai as well, right? Yeah. It's all about the Gen AI, Gen AI. In fact, I'm seeing the term used now uh, on everything. Gen AI, even if it's not Gen AI, yeah. it's, gen, it's, <laughs> it's like machine, being labelled as Gen AI. Learning, but we'll call it Gen yeah. AI just because it gets the buzz. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not Gen AI. What are you talking about? Um, yeah, so Capgemini certainly has the money to spend. The company reiterated its 2023 outlook for revenue growth for between 4% to 7% uh, at constant currency basis. 
has got the coin to spend. Um, and moving back on shore, Tal Australia. Mm. Tal Australia experiments with Gen AI. Gen AI, there it there is it again. Is. Uh, in a complementary and co-pilot role for staff. Now, this is interesting because we've mentioned, uh, you know, the possibility of using uh, AI inside an enterprise environment, mm. and this is exactly what's happening. Yeah, so Tower Australia, which is um, Tower Australia Limited, which is TAL, um, their their focus is on experimenting. So they mm. they're really curious about the technology. They want to see what it can do and how it can assist. Um, they say here that the the nature of the insurance industry means that uh, the people are handling large volumes of data, particularly unstructured. Uh, which is the sort of stuff that generative AI can just gobble up, which is true. Yeah. They say that it's uh, in their their research that has the potential 80% of jobs could incorporate generative AI yeah. into their, their daily workflow. And, you know, I was talking uh, to – I was talking to – so my wife – uh, used to work quite extensively in the insurance industry and, and does consult at the moment to, to an insurance uh, company, um, fairly large one in Australia. And I was talking to um, their operations um, people. We had dinner with them the other night and, uh, and said that are they looking at AI? Are they looking at machine learning for policies and all that sort of stuff? And they were like, no, no, there's no use case for it. And I, and I sort of went, oh, hang on, that's an interesting, that's an interesting take. And I sat down and thought about it and said, there 100% is, because when you're trying to figure out a policy, like a price for a policy, that is all based on data. And, oh, yeah. And, like, data yeah, yeah. where you live is, like, if you're looking for a, a comprehensive car insurance, where do you live? Is the vehicle going to be garaged? Does it have existing damage? How old is it? Is it well-maintained? All of this sort of stuff that, that they want to know. Yep. Um, what's your past history like? So if they can get all of that out of... Um, they can just plug your details into a machine learning model and then they can use Gen AI to automatically generate the, the documents that you need and yep. come up with the price. Yep. You know, w- once again, it's it's an old legacy company thinking old legacy ways. We'll, we'll get a startup uh, insurance company come along and they'll be doing everything with generative AI and AI backends and they'll just demolish the competition. Oh, 100%. Uh, they'll... they'll They'll do it quicker, faster, cheaper, and uh, suddenly the legacy companies have to pull up their socks and get to work. And oh, hang on a minute, we missed the boat on that one. Yeah. We see it time and time again, we do. right? It's um, yeah, it, it's quite it's quite interesting knowing that a lot of the insurance industry runs on spreadsheets, and they still <laughs> run on spreadsheets and access databases sure there's, and. There's, there's a meme for that, oh, I'm sure. Oh, there, there has to be a meme for it, but they do. They run because yeah. that's that's what my wife does. She builds um, the spreadsheets and all of the code in behind the spreadsheet. Ah, to, right. Entire financial industry held up with one Excel that's spreadsheet. That's exactly right. But, but, and she builds these spreadsheets that calculate what a premium needs to be. Oh, wow. Yeah. So if she can do it in train an Excel your, train spreadsheet. Train your model on that. Yeah. If she can do train it in an Excel spreadsheet, that, yeah. you can do it in... in um, auto ML. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. Um, so, Tal Australia. Um, now, interestingly, getting back on point. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, now, interestingly enough, they're going to they're saying um, setting too rigid governance structures is not going to work. Mm. So they're they're not interested in putting too much control around it. 
which I find unusual for an enterprise. Uh, we're really curious about the technology and making sure our governance and policies are adaptive as well. Yep. Right, so they want to actually see what it can do. They want to stretch the legs on this thing and see what it can do. And the other thing that I like on this article is uh, that the the uh, the person that's quoted on this article says, we're quite conscious about explainability and confirming how do we make decisions. So I think that's fantastic because when you're using AI like that, it can give you all of that working. Mm. Definitely one to keep up and keep our eyes on. Yeah, see what they do. Uh, moving on then, uh, we're looking at uh, Google Cloud Partner Ecosystem ramps up for generative AI. Uh, the Google Cloud Partner Ecosystem is pushing into generative AI with global systems integrators committing to train more than 150,000 people in the hyperscaler technology. Yeah, so... So, as we know, we're in the partner ecosystem. Uh, Google gives yep. us early looks at emerging technologies as well as technical assistance. So, uh, the next article we're going to cover is all about Je- uh, Duet AI, and I have early access to that. Um, the same same with Gen AI. We've, we've got lots of people, lots of data people in Kasna that are all across it. So, it says here that generative AI has attracted Google Cloud partners in a big way. So Jim Anderson, who's the Vice President of the North American Partner Ecosystem and Channels at Google Cloud, has has been quoted as saying, uh, most of them, I would say, are investing in generative AI and Google technology in some format. And we've already seen this. Uh, The article actually Mm -hmm. goes with uh, with the Capgemini article that we we covered just before, and it actually goes on to quote Capgemini, a global business transformation company plans to train some 65,000 employees on Google's generative AI technology. Uh, the company made its first step in that direction in June when it trained 10,000 people. How many people do this company have? I don't know how many people <laughs> Cap Germany has. A lot. Yeah, I, I question this, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, what's the quality of that training? You know, I, this is the thing. I, I, recently, Google and I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, get on the side. <laughs> I'm going to go critical. I'm going to go all critical here. You know, Google release this free uh, AI ML course mm. recently, yep. right? And it was a, a, a skills boost thing and you could go on there and you could do it and it was like t- three modules of like one video per module and each video was like, I don't know, 15 minutes long. Yeah, it was a 10-mile overview. Right? It, was, it was ridiculous, mm. right? And... You have people on LinkedIn, the amount of times I saw this post on LinkedIn, people are, I'm now trained on AI, mm. Gen AI. I know all about AI now, right? Okay. I guess the, it was a marketing study, oh, yeah. right? It was, it, was, it, was, it was there to draw attention to Google's AI capabilities, but the amount of people that jumped on this and and spruked it and and the amount of responses and your claps and celebrates and all the rest of it, I just think it was a little bit ridiculous and people were just going over the top with it when all that hubbub, that hype was happening six months ago. And, you know, here's poor old me. I'm looking at my cloud skills boost uh, profile and I must have, I don't know, 200 of those badges in there and I, I generally don't spruik them. Yeah. But for some reason, this particular one grabbed everyone's attention and it just went around. It's the- I, don't think, I don't think that was a quality course, no. right? 
Uh, it was just there as a marketing stunt. Everyone seems to jump on it. And when they're saying they're going to train 10,000 people, I, 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 I want to know what the course is, what they're actually going to learn. I don't think it'll be very deep. Yeah. Um, and I think it'll be very superficial and they'll be able to wear that as a badge and say, look, we've got all these people that are trained in Gen AI. Yeah, my, my, I'll get off my soapbox My now. question, much like you, is <laughs> is this the 10-mile overview, that, like that three-module thing, that 10-mile overview of, of AI? Exactly what it'll be. Or yep. is this going to be 65,000 employees trained in AI to the same depth as the GCVE training that we did that took a week just to go through how to deploy uh, Google Cloud's VMware engine. Yeah, anyway, I, I, I don't think it's going to be – I think it will be very superficial. Yeah, yeah, no, I'd have to agree. I mean, you can't, try, you can't send 65,000 people on, a, on a, even a one-week course. No, that's right. It will take a long time to have an in-depth um, training. Yeah. But let's, let's just finish up here. Um, Google's due at AI to take on Amazon Code Whisperer GitHub Copilot. Yeah, so I've got this. So I've got uh, yeah. Duet AI. I'm a trusted tester on the Champions in- Champion Innovators program. Um, mm. I have this plugged into VS Code. Um, it also works in certain JetBrains IDEs, uh, but I'm just using VS Code because, you know, that's the universal thing. Uh, but at, at Google's annual I.O. conference, um, Google said it would be releasing new generative AI engine akin to OpenAI's ChatGPT for users of its cloud platform. So it's dubbed this Duet AI for Google Cloud. Now, this is different from BARD, which is more of an experiment, um, whereas mm. Duet AI is more of the fully-fledged program. Uh, and and look, my initial uh, impressions of this, this uh, AI in VS Code are actually really good. So much like I'm sure it's learning off the same model as Bard is um, yep. the the ability to code in various different languages is fantastic. Um, if you can structure your request to it correctly, it can actually generate some really good code for you. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be much like GitHub's Copilot and much like uh, Code Whisperer, which is Amazon's project. Well, I, li- I liked uh, Copilot, and then they put it behind a paywall. Yeah. Um, so I'm keen to see what this thing does for me. Yeah, it is actually really good, like like I said. Um, so the, the article here says Duet AI will be integrated into Google Cloud services, such as Cloud Workstations, which is where it initially was released. Um, so if you're using a developer workstation on Google Cloud Workstations, then you get it there. Um, it's also yep. in Google Cloud Console. Cloud Shell Editor and uh, Cloud Code, um, and that's in the extension for VS Code and JetBrains. So uh, you can you can use it in pretty much any language. Nice. They can get the extension now, I guess. Uh, not just yet. It's not released to the public yet. It is still in trusted okay. tester mode. Uh, so you'll have access to it through Kasna. Um, I've got access through it both through Kasna and through the Champion Innovators uh, program. See. Yep. Nice. All right. We'll look out for that one when you finally get access. But uh, I'm seeing, oh, this has got to be one of our longer shows. Ian. I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might finish up there. Yeah, eh? I reckon so. Awesome, guys. Look, don't forget to go to iTunes, write the show review. That would really help the show out. 
Uh, you can contact the show, gcplife at kasna.com. We've got the website there, and we will soon have a Mastodon server, so look out for that on the socials. Um, and, uh, of course, today's show is sponsored by Kasna. At Kasna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. Uh, I think we have chinwagged enough for today. Way too much. How about some you? Might you think. Got yeah, <laughs> some might think that's right. Go away and play with your eight-bit computers and have all sorts of fun. I'm going to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll catch you next week. Bye. Bye. Welcome, 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 uh. <clears throat> I'll get it right one day.